0: this is a special edition of infosec sync this month we're gearing up for the ninth annual national cyber summit conference in huntsville alabama june 6th through the 8th and interviewing speakers and thought leaders to bring you the latest trends and issues facing the cyber community the national cyber summit is the preeminent event for cyber training education and workforce development aimed at protecting our nation's infrastructure from the ever-evolving cyber threats <laughs> Infosexing is brought to you by VicTech. At VicTech, they pride themselves on teamwork, customer satisfaction, and providing customers with elite engineering and technology solutions. They aim to become an ever more
1: dominant force in every area, product, or service they represent. Visit them on the web at VicTech.net. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H dot net.
0: All right, so I'm sitting here with uh, Mr. Kel Rosman. He's a security data scientist and researcher here in the Huntsville, Alabama area and works for a company called Centaur Incorporated. Um, He's passionate in applying data science technologies to cybersecurity problems, and his prior experience includes leading the University of Alabama Huntsville cyber team for the 2015 and 2016 National Cyber Analyst Challenge, which is really cool. He was also a member of Lockheed Martin's internal audit team, and successfully hacked the Pentagon as an individual participant in the Hack the Pentagon bug bounty for 2016. So there's a lot of people who'd say they love to hack the Pentagon. Yeah, and um, love to tell about it. And <laughs> love to tell about it, right? Uh, he currently remains active in the security community with uh, participation in other bug bounties, cyber challenges, and he's also a contributor to the machine learning security open source project. And that project applies data science to cyber security challenges. So um, Kel currently holds a CISSP, a CEH, a Security Plus, and he's also an InForms certified analytics professional. And with that, welcome to InfoSec St. Kel Rosman. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me. No problem. So uh, I first met Kel at a, it's a conference here, not a conference, a, a, I guess an actual presentation, presentation on... Um, Applying data science to cybersecurity, and it was really interesting. And He's going to be a speaker at the National Cyber Summit. He's one of the uh, tech track speakers. He's going to be talking about data science. So, I wanted to bring him on here so you listeners can hear about it and possibly come listen to the full presentation at the Cyber Summit. So cool. So, Kel, for our listeners out there, can you explain just what exactly data science
1: is? So, data science is Really a, a term, a kind of a buzzword. It's become a buzzword, and it's kind of evolved over the years. Uh, really how I view data science is that it's big data. It's a, also a visualization, some form of visualization of the data, and then it's also the traditional machine learning. It's the, the mathematical algorithms that can help you make predictions or it can help you provide additional insight that you may not see just through your standard techniques. So big data is uh, a buzzword
0: that's going around. Um, yeah. The, the cyber circles and um, computer science in general. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so data science, where does that meet with cybersecurity? How does that meet up?
1: So data science, uh, actually, cybersecurity lends itself well to data science in that we generate lot. Cybersecurity world generates lots of data from their logs, and they have different types of data. Uh, from the different systems, such as the SIM systems. And so what's great about that is machine learning algorithms love lots of data. They love to see uh, the more data, the better, to get better predictions. And so it, it really mirrors itself up very well. Okay, so are there a lot of tools that are used? Oh, yeah. So uh, for big data, there's it's a whole ecosystem. It starts off with uh, using Hadoop, and there's NoSQL no databases, and then there's... T- uh, other little technologies on top of it that allow you to process data from other different data sources allows you to put algorithms very close to the data on the disk. Uh, there's, there's, it's really an, a real, it's really an ecosystem, not just one tool. All right, so tell, tell us a little bit more. Sure, um, so. For data science, especially for big data, there's really, uh, traditionally you have what they call batch processing, where you take a, a chunk of data, it could be several terabytes or more, and then you, you run the algorithm on top of it and it processes it, and it takes several hours to do, or days, depending on the size, and so really that's not very overly useful for uh, cybersecurity, it may be for some forensics activities, but if you want to be able to process data quickly, uh, there is a streaming aspect to the big data, um, where you using something, a tool like Apache Spark, where as the data comes in, you can have algorithms run across the data and then provide some sort of uh, real-time prediction. Um, And there's an actual architecture called the Lambda architecture that combines the two, the batch and the streaming, and that really allows you to be able to um, detect real-time or near real-time intrusions, as well as have the data process in the background and then really kind of give you the full picture. Very cool, very cool stuff. So um,
0: you mentioned batch processing, right? Yeah. So that sounds like there's some big machines involved with that or are uh, big repositories
1: needed. Yes, and usually what it, typically uh, using like a Hadoop architecture, you would have uh, what they call a data lake, basically. It's where you take all your different data from different sources and you put it into one Uh, one kind of cluster. And really what's neat about Hadoop is it uses everyday hardware, stuff you can pull off your racks, nothing special. And you can actually cluster it, and it scales very, very well. Uh, I know a lot of Silicon Valleys they have uh, clusters in the thousands. And and that's that's what makes it great is that it's cheap. You can use cheap hardware and it can scale very well. So a lot of open source stuff? A lot of open source. Open source seems to be the uh, dominant um, type of software all right so uh what are some you you mentioned that right so yeah. what are some of the challenges with that though so a, a lot of the challenges are with especially with big data is that uh, you get a lot of data in and you still have the same issue of data bad data in bad data out and so you still have to figure out ways to clean the data to make it usable for your analytics and so it you still have those issues and it's just on a much bigger scale because it is big data. So there is a lot of pre-processing work that may have to still occur. Um, Some other issues with it is is, uh, um, a lot of environments just really weren't designed. um, A lot of these tools that uh, spit out the data, they weren't necessarily designed to have any kind of analytics done on top of them. And so there's a lot of Massaging of the data, so or, it's an afterthought. Really, it's an right? afterthought. So yeah, so you got to kind of make it work and figure out how can you put it into a uh, into a format that the machine learning algorithms can use. So algorithms, how? <laughs> so for big data,
0: right? Yeah. There's got probably a lot of algorithms, right? Oh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> so um, can you tell us a little bit more about about the algorithms or? Sure.
1: So there's different types. You uh, you know, most traditionally you get into the machine learning and then you get into what they call supervised, where you basically have uh, what they call label data it's data that has to um, that you tell what the answer is so if you say hey you know if this field is one that means it's a cat um, you basically label it in such a way that you can understand what the machine learning understands what that data is and then you can train it so it, then it can it, it knows what looks like a success and what what is just a benign uh, and then you have unsupervised algorithms and these don't have label data they have to go through and figure out what uh, the data is, and so they, they'll they typically do this based on clustering, and then they'll do some sort of categorization. So, a lot of this stuff
0: sounds like um, what you see Watson doing with <laughs> IBM, right? Absolutely. This is exactly what Watson's doing. That's That's really cool. Does Watson also know how to how to present visualizations and things like that?
1: Uh, You know, I'm not overly (laughs) familiar with uh, IBM Watson enough to know what it does there, but I know there is a whole field on visualization, especially when it comes to uh, machine learning algorithms, because some, such as a neural network, can be very hard to understand. So, based on machine learning, right, what are the metrics that can determine success about them? Sure, there's several. Uh, Really, you look at the accuracy, the precision, um, and, and recall. So basically, accuracy. You're looking at how you know how how correct did it make the decisions, and then precision. You're you're looking at the ratio between uh, correctly classified and the actual number of the instances, and then really the the recall. You know, is how well was it able to retrieve. Uh, basically, it's the ratio or sensitivity. How well did it do between those two? Um, and then there's an F measure which looks, but it's another algor- uh, another metric that looks between a, a measurement between recall and precision and how well it did there. So what that looks like is is you know a great way to say that would look at nmap. nmap uh, each port is a feature, each service on each of those port is a feature, and each version of each service on that port is a feature. So you can really break it down. It could be a file name. Um, the length it could be how many bytes that file name is it could be the compression of the file you're looking at those are all distinct features so with nmap um, a lot of people that listen to
0: the show know what know what that is Um, so if you're saying a, um, a feature is a port you have to know the right port
1: or the right feature to get what you want Absolutely, and that's where the art of feature selection comes in. You just think, when you think of these terms of just in-map alone and how that was three features and that seems very small, uh, you just think of the size of how complex that gets. Uh, for a lot of these uh, machine learning applications in cybersecurity, you're talking about thousands of features. Okay, so um,
0: so you mentioned the features. So yeah. Based on the features, does that go any further into machine learning? Is there like a, a practice in features or anything
1: like that? Sure. Uh, yeah, actually. So to take features, you have to turn them into a numerical form, and that's what we call a vector. And these vectors are what actually is used in machine learning. So what that means is, is if you take, say, a, a file length, that is a numerical. If you take uh, a port, a port number could be a feature, but then the file length and then the port are two different sizes, and so you have to normalize those two numbers so that one doesn't outweigh the other. Uh, and the other thing too is, is for vectors, these numerical representation of the feature, they're they're typically in a you graph them on a graph, and they can be anywhere from two dimensions, and they can go to nth dimensions because if you have a hundred features, you're a hundred dimensions. And so visually thinking that in your head is yeah, that's huge. May it will, will make your mind blow. So it. Um, So that typically you don't you try you you try to uh, put them in each of those dimensions, and then you you let the the algorithm try to uh, use that to cluster or to uh, do whatever math uh, the calculation. And and really what you're doing with all of these features is you're taking you're measuring the distance between each of them, and that that is the fundamental calculations that all machine learning algorithms are doing. So everything in machine learning is based on distance yep wow so yeah so all it is is you're, you're finding the different right uh, cluster of features so that it could it predicts whatever uh, observation you're looking at. So the last time I learned about distance, I was learning about <laughs> Pythagorean's theorem right <laughs> yeah, yep <laughs> so how does that play into it So Pythagorean theorem is a wonderful uh, you know that's the one we all learn in uh, grade school on how to calculate a a distance between two points on a graph. You know it's a squared b squared equals c squared. So now, when you knowing that, when you plot that on say a two dimensional graph, you now know how to calculate the distance uh, between those two points. And so what's what's great about uh, that algorithm is that really any kind of mathematical algorithm that can do that type of calculation. Uh, it, it can be used. As long as it meets whatever the mathematical constraints are, it, it, it can work. And that's, what, that's where a lot of the power of these algorithms are is they come up with these really cool ways to do that Calculation. So when I was
0: sitting in my ninth grade geometry class, thinking about
1: <laughs> what, what am I ever going to use this for? It's coming back to bite me. It's coming back. I know. I said the same thing, and especially <laughs> with calculus. And then here I am. I, I deal with a lot of the calculus. <laughs> cool. So what other cool stuff can you tell us about uh, machine learning and big data? Um, so some of the you know other cool things with uh, machine learning and big data is there's a new area called deep learning. Okay. Um, Deep learning is really kind of the more advanced area. What's great about it over, say, machine learning is that it allows it's, it uses neural networks, which are basically kind of how your brain works. And what's great about that is they're able to derive context in what they look at. So a wonderful example is for imagery. They, they can look at an image and they can say, that image is of a cat. Or I've even seen some that say, here is a baseball pitcher throwing the ball really okay <laughs> and so what's that's what's neat about it is it's able to go above and beyond just saying hey here's this is what this is what this image is it can actually in, infer the context of what's going on what's also cool about uh, uh machine learning is or um, excuse me deep learning is that with deep learning it does not have to uh, it doesn't need as much um Processing it, power. Process, well, it needs a lot of processing power, but they're also scalable, so what tends to happen with machine learning, there's only, there's a certain point where uh, all of the data in machine learning, it, it, there's only so much data that the model can use to get an accurate prediction, and then um, and then you have to switch to another algorithm. What's great about deep learning is the more data it gets, the better the results are, and what's also great is the whole feature, uh, where the art of finding the right features for machine learning, deep learning can actually assist and start doing some of those feature extraction for you, and so that's that's one of the great things about it. So part of that uh, would probably be teaching the teaching the computer or
0: system. You take yep. a picture and telling it, okay, this is a car. Yep. This is a truck. Yep. This is a eighteen wheeler, so it could tell the difference, and then you could break it down by the size and everything like that, yep. and it would know just by looking at different
1: the more stuff you feed it, right? Right. So the more images you can feed of it from even different angles, it could then look at it and say, you know, this is a semi truck on the interstate, or it could say, hey, this is a passenger car at a car show. Mm-hmm. It, it could it could actually infer uh, what's going on in that image. So there's probably going to be some challenges to that, it, just in general. Oh, there's there's a lot of challenges. Uh, a big one is is just this 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 is what requires a lot of GPU power. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, you know, we don't have a lot. I know Google is putting out TensorFlow, and there's all of these different frameworks, CAFE, that are out there now that uh, are trying to help, you know, people at home. We can play with this now. And so that's what's great uh, about that. But some of the other issues, too, is is uh, one of the key things in cybersecurity is we need to understand what these models are saying. How did they come to that prediction? So can we trust it, or is it just spinning our wheels? And that's one area right now where machine learning and deep learning both kind of fail us, is that they'll, they'll give us really good, accurate predict predictions, but then when you but you have no idea how it got to it. Um, and so that that's an area of big, a lot of research going on right now. It's sort of like with the, the cybersecurity alerts uh, you get in the SOC
0: with yep. um, ArcSight or HP OpenViewer or whatever you're using. Uh, if you don't tune it and tell it what's going on, it's going to give you false positives or just false information so basically you're kind of doing machine learning by telling it this is bad tell me when this happens
1: right exactly exactly
0: so what are what are some real other than that yeah. oh, and the sock and and that stuff
1: what are some um, real world use cases so there's actually a lot of there's actually a lot of real uh, real world use cases and Really, I kind of say there's some that are more on the defensive side. That's traditionally where machine learning has been used. There's also some on the offensive side, and that's those are the really exciting ones. Uh, on the defensive side, one that you're seeing lots of startup companies develop the software, and we also have a product here at Centaur uh, called Views, is using machine learning to detect malware. Uh, right now, everyone knows malware or malware antivirus software companies use uh, signature-based, so if there's not a existing uh, signature on the malware, then it, it won't detect it. Well, what's great about mal- uh, malware using machine learning is that it, it's looking at the features that make up the malware, and so it's it's looking at it totally different. So if the malware acts like malware, the, the, the algorithm will detect it and say, hey, this is malware. So the algorithm is looking for components, I guess yes. you could say, right? Yes, it's looking at the behaviors. And so that's what's great is that it's harder for malware to hide now because realistically most malware is just derivatives of other malware, and people tend to copy and paste. So if you look for the right feature set, you can actually predict successfully the new malware that may not uh, no one may not know about.
0: So really cool. So you you mentioned your company Centaur. They have a product called View. How do you spell that?
1: Views. V I E
0: X. What does that stand for?
1: It's. Uh, not sure what it stands for. I think it's just a... <laughs> just the name. It's a fun name, fun spelling of the name.
0: So is that um, an antivirus kind of deal? So what, what is it?
1: It's so it detects malice of files. So what it it's really it was started out from um, using technology from DARPA Cyber Genome project mm-hmm. from a few years ago. And what was great is it uses a random forest classifier and it can actually look at how the program interacts and how it acts and then it derives and says here we think this file acts like this file that may be malice
0: yeah i i knew a couple guys that were working on something sort of like that so that's pretty cool so do you guys keep um i guess an inventory of 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 bad information yeah yeah sort sort of like your view cloud for i guess like when you do you have customers yet for this?
1: We have. I know we have a commercial company, and I know it's also used out in the. Uh, so
0: you have a cloud community. that they connect to, so they know, hey, this stuff is good, this stuff is bad, or h- how it's, does
1: their network learn? So it, it is all on premise, and they learn from retraining it um, locally. Because one of the one of the differences is here is when you use Virus Total, you're letting the world know. Absolutely right. So their cloud, their yeah. cloud. So yeah. They, yeah, they 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 want to keep that away.
0: Excellent. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, we talked about defensive
1: uh, yeah. stuff, right? So sure. tell me some offensive stuff machine learning can do. So there's a lot of really cool use cases of lately. One is um, looking at data exfiltration. So if you're a bad guy and you or an attacker and you get in and you say, you know, you, you find the crown jewels, maybe like a private key. Um, and how would you get that data out? One way to do it is to use a Markov chain algorithm, and what that does is that's commonly used for predicting sentences. It's it's what's used in autocorrect. It's what's used on chatbots. And what's great about that is, it, if you if you run this algorithm with say like your uh, like a a Harry Potter book and the private key, it'll actually obscure the private key to look like a Harry Potter book. And, when you, and so then when you exfil the data out, it looks like human readable text, so no, none of your current systems will trigger against that. But it'll be in the background. But it's in the background. So it's, yeah, so it's basically a form of obfuscation. And then when you rerun that same model on your client site, from when you, after you exfil the data, mm-hmm. it'll turn it right back to the, the private key. So what's wonderful about that is is you completely obscure uh, what you're taking out and the only way to uncrack it is to run that uh, machine learning model. Cool, so you just told all the hackers how, yeah. to, how to get better at, yeah. at doing their trade. Right, yeah, so there's that and there's other ones where um, finding vulnerabilities in code, uh, What's you know, there's good and bad about that, uh, mm-hmm. being able to find the zero days before bad guys is good, but if you're also looking at uh, getting the, if you want to find the zero days so then maybe you want to use that as an exploitation um, that's where that's one area where machine learning does a wonderful job over your traditional static analysis and dynamic analysis uh, because, again, it looks at the code and it extracts features out uh, from maybe the different types of functions or abstract uh, syntax trees, and it, it's able to do the calculations and the measuring the distance, and then it can extrapolate the, the vulnerability, so then it's able to uh, you're able to basically know the different types of vulnerability categories inside the code.
0: So this is something really cool for companies or
1: security operation centers that are doing their own threat hunting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you'll, you'll be able to run. You can run this on your code. It's much faster than traditional methods and you'll know what type of, even though they may say, hey, here's a patch for this known vulnerability, vulnerability, you may know what technically zero days you have in your code to also be aware of. But what? All of these things with machine learning isn't there
0: some uh, false positives or misinformation or disinformation
1: you run into? Absolutely. Um, false positives are a big big issue, and so it, it comes down to how you train your data. There's techniques to try to minimize that, but uh, there's definitely ways to try to minimize it. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, one of the cool things I saw when you did your ISA presentation was. A video piece, and you're only going to be able to see this if you come to the Cyber Summit and and sit in person and, and see this. This is really cool. Tell us a little bit about it, Cal.
1: Sure. So there's you know one area that's kind of hot, especially after uh, the election season, is disinformation. And you know how can machine learning affect uh, things like video? Traditionally, everybody thinks machine learning only touches uh, pictures or data, and there's new technology out there in the machine learning world where it can um, change video and one example that the video feed was is being able to take an existing politician, and in this case it was a politician, and then map what the person appears on TV and map it to a person who is instrumented or use, just using a webcam, and then it, it you can impose the person's uh, basically both their voice and their and their facial expressions onto the person on TV and so what's crazy about that is, is you can now make someone look on tv say and do things that they never actually did that's really cool so it was really funny when when you yeah. see the video
0: but it, is this an application that you you can purchase or how did you
1: actually do that so it so some of it actually it can be as done on with basic xbox xbox live mm-hmm. uh, they have actually machine learning algorithms in there and you can use that Uh, You can use just, it's just basic webcam, and it's just a matter of getting uh, a machine learning algorithm that will just smooth out the points, and so it'll fill in the blanks, if you will. Um, There's also Adobe. They have a program out there to allow you to edit voice.
0: You know, that's uh, really cool and frightening at the same time when when you actually see (laughs) what's going on in the video. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, What else can you tell us? Sure, and then you know the one thing I, I found uh, to be exciting and uh, was the DARPA Grand Challenge. They had a cyber Grand Challenge, and what this was is a uh, it was a team. I think of eight teams, and it was fully autonomous. They were they had basically eight desktop towers, and they went. They both they did a, re, a capture the flag or a red team blue team exercise. And How many was, people were involved there? It was there was teams of like a total of over hundred people to develop. It's a lot of teams. people. It's a lot of people. They won several millions of dollars. What was cool about it is uh, one of the one of the software or one of the computers was scanning another computer and <laughs> identified a vulnerability that none of the program planners had knew existed. So it, it detected this vulnerability, wrote an exploit, and went to send it over. At the same time, that computer saw it was about to be exploited, so it wrote a defensive measure to limit its effectiveness. And then launched a counterattack. And this was all done in a matter of five minutes. That's cool. So, what, you know, in the, so you, Battle of the Bots, right? Battle of the Bots, fully autonomous. So, they're doing full red team, blue team attack and defend, and they're doing it in minutes. Oh, that's really cool. So,
0: just to um, wrap it up in general here, because we're running sure. out of time, um, what are some of the uh, things going forward with machine learning and cyber in general?
1: So where I see uh, machine learning, it's just it's becoming an integral part of our cyber defenses. It allows, uh, if it's done properly, it should allow your SOC analysts to only respond to true events. It helps your cyber threat hunts uh, be able to sift through all that data to find their true positive, what they're looking for. It's really going to enable um, all of the cybersecurity professionals to just to be able to do your job, find and find you know the attackers out there and stop them. Awesome. Um, so if you like what you heard today, um,
0: contact uh, Kel. He's at kel.rosman at com. That's K-E-L-L dot R-O-Z-M-A-N at centaur.com. And uh, Kel, thanks for being on Infosec Sync. Thank you for having um, me. Any, any final thoughts, issues? <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, have a good one. Thanks. InfoSec Sync has been brought to you by VicTech, established to provide fast and reliable technologies for the U.S. intelligence community and Department of Defense. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H dot